Welcome to the Week in IndyCar, our guest show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Mike Hull, Managing Director of Chip Ganassi Racing, I feel like I owe you something because we passed an anniversary recently. I think it's silver is what I was supposed to give you. Your last appearance on the show was your 25th. So this is now 26, and I didn't get you anything. But that's just evidence of what a terrible and non-thoughtful person I am, I believe. Uh, well, Marshall, you can blame it on COVID. That's a great excuse. I hadn't thought of that. Yes. <laughs> Although it doesn't apply to anything, and it was just me failing. Uh, yeah, darn COVID. Well, yeah. as always, Mike, folks love having you on the show. I refer to you lovingly as hashtag IndyCar Yoda. You bring thoughts, philosophies, and all kinds of things that make folks smarter when it comes to IndyCar racing, sports car racing as well. And so with the Indy 500 here this weekend, I don't know how you guys did in qualifying, by the way. I don't think you did very well. I didn't really happen to notice. But um, uh, kidding aside, got the Indy 500 here. You've got all four of your cars inside the Fast 9. And so folks have lots of questions here for you. So why don't we, Mike, just kick off? Uh, our okay, pal. Let's, uh, let's see what happens today. Yeah. Brian at 500 Indy 1911. He might be kind of old if that's his age. Uh, he says Ganassi dominated qualifying. Um, you guys have definitely been big players in the, uh, quote, arrow screen era. He asks, is there something the Ganassi team has figured out that the field hasn't says, I look forward to your non-answer answer. So uh, what can we tell folks without giving anything away? Have you guys found some secret sauce over the last two years uh, when it comes to qualifying? Well, maybe in 1911 they used windscreens. I, I'm not sure. Or maybe windshields. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, we've talked about this. I don't know what episode that was, Marshall, or whether it was an interview. Uh, we, we reorganized ourselves here uh, two years ago at least now. Um, and, uh, diverse, didn't diversify, but we, we redirected some of the talent here, the engineering talent and management talent in the building to try to do a better job overall with our IndyCar program. And then that, that group of people had some initiatives, uh, one of which was the Indianapolis 500. And last year we started to see some of the result from that. And I think this year we've seen more. Um, and I think it's just we tried to get away from uh, being guilty of groupthink, uh, tried to think about uh, the present formula and what's going on. Certainly part of that formula is the windscreen, mm. the aero screen. Uh, but that, by what we've done, uh, we've taken the aero screen into account, uh, but we've taken ourselves more to task in, in terms of trying to create a better product for what we consider to be the most, globally significant open wheel race in the world. So uh, maybe that answers the question in, in a very direct manner. Was speaking with uh, our man, Mr. Dixon, your driver, Mr. Dixon, pole sitter, obviously for the race day or two ago, just sticking with this general theme, Mike, of reinvention. And this has been, I think this has been an underreported thing. I know I felt stupid as Dixie was talking about it and I was realizing, wow, I really should have been focusing on this more. So there's no criticism to level towards a team Penske or any others who, for the most part, you see 
unchanged from year to year on the timing stand behind the steering wheel, uh, you know, in the garage, super consistent and they deliver on a super consistent basis. You and your team chosen a slightly different path, as you mentioned over the last two years to say, we have achieved a lot, but we feel we could achieve more by whether it's adding some new staff, uh, moving some Chris Simmons being the perfect example. Hey Simmons, you've won championships, Indy 500s as a race engineer. We could keep doing that, but you know, we think maybe you could contribute something that uh, we don't have right now. We're going to put you in a new role. Could you maybe speak to that reinvention side, Mike? Because not every team is willing to do that, but you all are and appear to be reaping the benefits. Uh, well, <laughs> being the master of the obvious, that's correct. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, there were several things that came into play. Uh, first of all, in order to move Chris, we had to have, uh, a talented person to take his place. Uh, and Mike Cannon came along at the right time for us. Uh, number one. And then number two, even this year, uh, we have a very talented engineer and a guy named Eric Cowden who had worked for us before. And we understood how special he is. And, uh, when we added the 48 car as the fourth entry, Eric, uh, came back to work for us and he's added a lot of depth and experience to what we're doing. So that program has flowed well within the system. Uh, but I think a fresh set of eyes always helps. And, uh, if you use your ears with a fresh set of eyes and you actually listen, uh, and there's a difference between hearing and listening, uh, very clearly with, especially when you have groups of people working together, um, you make progress and you read it, you recraft yourself first, uh, uh, myself included. Uh, we don't, or we are not doing things quite in the same manner, uh, that we did a year ago or two years ago and so on. That I would say that first. Then the second thing that I would say is that this team has gone through spells of not doing well uh, during race season at a particular race, or in this case, at the Indy 500. And when that does happen, uh, it's really, really difficult to um, not energize yourself, but just think yourself out of the hole you've dug uh, for yourself in a very short period of time. So we've been there, we understand it and have a lot of compassion for those that uh, have a tough time at Indy because we've been there. Let's see. Tommy Plahitko has a question on that theme uh, that you closed on. He says, Mike, great job securing pole, getting all four, four cars in the fast nine. His question is, has the Ganassi team ever experienced a similar situation to what Penske went through this year in qualifying where despite all attempts, there's just not enough speed to be found. He also asked, what is the process afterward to figure out what went wrong uh, that maybe couldn't be determined in the moment to then turn around? So uh, do know for sure there have been, you know, at least one instance over the last decade where a lot of work, a lot of thought, a lot of money invested in R&D didn't necessarily pay off with super speedy cars at the 500. You share some insights on, on that, Mike? Because Roger Penske is not the first person to have this happen to. 
Well, I don't think that team is the only team at Indy that had a tough time uh, this year. Uh, I think what what the difference is is people were surprised by it uh, because the expectation for when that team, at, uh, because of how good they are at what they do, uh, turned up at, at Indy and, and had a tough go. Um, but there, you know, there there were a lot of other cars there that uh, had moments of. Uh, uh, you know, what are we doing wrong here? What do we have to do as a group to be right? And even within teams, you saw that uh, some of the best teams had that problem with some of their some of their cars. Uh, so it, it wasn't exclusive to them. Uh, what happens there for a race team is that uh, you have to step away uh, once once it's over, and uh, ask everybody with uh, around a in this case, maybe a conference table. Uh, not so much what went wrong, but what do we need to do to improve? Mm. Where do we need to go first? What's the priority here going forward? And guess what? If you have the meeting uh, the day after the Indianapolis 500, you have 364 days to react. So you should use every day. And that goes if you've had a good time at Indy or whether you haven't had a good time. You still have a lot of time uh, to uh, prepare um yourselves, your cars, your methods, the process, uh, to improve yourself. And, uh, and I think you do that at, after, well, I know you do that at this case, uh, at this team after every race, no matter whether it's the Indy 500 long beach, the Daytona 24 hour race, Watkins Glen for sports cars and so on. We do that on a regular basis and, uh, all teams do that. Um, and you try to, you try to understand if reorganizing yourself internally is enough or whether you need to find help on the outside. Let's go to Jeremiah Morrell says, what goes into the decision to send Alex Pillow back out on Saturday? He says, does each team make that decision on their own referring to each of the individual four entries, or is that a group decision to maybe send a car out to hopefully learn a little bit more about Sunday's shootout? I don't read that as a critical question so much, Mike, but definitely, uh, was there a bigger ambition behind, uh, Alex's second run, which obviously wasn't able to complete, unfortunately, or was that just, Hey, we think we could do better. Let's go get it. Um, you know, it's a fair question. Um, we, we do things for qualifying based on, uh, the history of qualifying. Uh, and the history of qualifying says that uh, you gain one mile an hour from 3 p.m. on. Uh, and uh, we felt like there were several people that where Alex was in the queue, as well as Marcus Erickson, for that matter, um, where they were, there were three or four people that could potentially push them past ninth position. And if they didn't go out and do a run, if in this case, Alex, who'd gotten out of tech, didn't go out and do a run to improve himself at about that time of the day, um, we wouldn't have enough time to cool the car off, get the car right, and get back out there in that scrum at 5, 5.15 and be able to do a second run, uh, what would have been a third run. So that was the decision we made. Crystal ball racing is really would be a great place to be. But at that crystal ball normally looks more like one of those 
things that you shake up with snowflakes in it. Magic eight ball uh, or uh... Yeah, magic eight ball or whatever it is. So, you know, it's easy for us to, to afterwards to say, Oh, we made it. We, we didn't do that correctly. We made a mistake. Um, and that's that we proved it. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, we would probably make that decision again. Uh, and, uh, what did happen there, which is the first time we've really ever seen what we saw there. Uh, and there might've been some contributing factors. I, we don't know. Was the track never sped up at the end of the day, mm. uh, which is, was very unusual for us because there were shadows on the racetrack. The track temp came down, but nobody really went faster. And we thought what was going to happen was two things. We thought from fifth to ninth was really going to roll. And uh, we didn't think Kanan or Dixon would be in trouble. They might move back, but they'd be able to qualify in the top nine on Sunday. But we thought anybody from fifth to ninth was going to have to rerun. And we also thought then that people were going to look at that thing and they were going to say, oh, man, we got to get to 10th, 11th, or 12th here because we can't get to ninth. But starting at the front at Indy for the last seven or eight years historically, if you don't start, if you haven't started in the in the top 12, 13, 14 positions, it's very difficult to get to the front, even if you go off strategy. So we thought that's what people would be looking at. We didn't think that it would be reruns after five o'clock in the rock and roll lane uh, for people on the last row. We thought they'd be overshadowed by people trying to get 10th, 11th, 12th on, um, on the grid. So we were, we were wrong about that. Uh, but they were all lined up, but they were in the wrong row, weren't they? And as they were lined up in the wrong row, which we call the country and Western lane, <laughs> um, uh, they didn't run because the track had slowed down. So, yeah, it was a little unusual this year for qualifying. Uh, I don't think it'll be that way next year. It'll be different again, or maybe it'll be more like it has been in the past. Uh, uh, we're not sure. And I think that that was probably what created some real uh, uh, acid reflux uh, for those people that with, were withdrawing their time in the left lane to try to get to the back row because they couldn't go as fast. It was strange. It was really strange. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, um, I hope we've done that answer justice. You have, uh, let's see. Lance Snyder says with carb day, looking to be a washout, how much lobbying goes on to turn meaningful laps on Saturday? <laughs> well, I hope it's not a washout. Uh, but the one positive about Friday and I haven't looked at the weather forecast at this point for the whole day, is the fact that uh, with uh, uh, nothing going on on the racetrack except IndyCars on Friday, uh, it gets dark at 8 o'clock, 8.30. So, and we ran until 7 the other night without any issues. So uh, I'm sure they'll do everything they can. Jay and Jay Fry and, and the people that administer what we do on the racetrack will do everything in their power to get the track dry for us to, to do some laps, um, uh, in race practice. The good thing about race practice, uh, during the week last week was the fact that we, we had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were all decent days. Um, and it got hotter and hotter, which was good. And more rubber was laid down, which was fine. So 
and there was a lot of activity, uh, particularly Wednesday, Thursday. So I think a lot of people are fairly well prepared for the race. Figure, and I'm going to speak with Jay Fry about this here shortly, but yeah, I think the only commitment Lance to this is if by chance there's lots of rain that makes a long, meaningful carb day session impossible, they're going to make sure the field of 33 gets out to do some running, even if it's just five or 10 minutes or five or 10 laps just to do install checks. Every car has been blown apart, you know, down to the last proverbial nut and bolt. So, uh, IndyCar is not going to let the field of 33 fire into turn one, uh, without having done, uh, install laps, check for leaks, you know, uh, you do that on a traditionally on carb day, not just to get in some final practice and tune on the setup, but with all the cars having been totally broken down and then put back together, uh, you make sure that everything is in proper working order. So that will happen no matter what, if there's enough time to actually go out and play and have fun, uh, and do some, you know, simulated race running even better. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to Jeremy Davis? I believe Guinness book of world's record. Mike has named him the biggest Chip Ganassi racing number nine, Scott Dixon fan <laughs> of all time, right? Just period. End of statement. Retire it. Jeremy owns it. Uh, it says, hey, was curious to see if Mike thinks Honda or Chevy might have an upper hand when it comes to fuel mileage on Sunday. And just to be clear that he kind of sort of likes your team, he finished he sent in one and a half sentences worth of a question and closed with two and a half sentences of hope that PNC Honda is crossing the line first on Sunday. Best of luck. <laughs> hashtag Wolfpack nine hashtag team Ganassi hashtag Mike Hall hashtag Scott Dixon. We'll be cheering and rooting for y'all from J stand turn four all Sunday in our PNC Ganassi Dixon number nine gear. So if you get a chance, J stand turn four, just wave. And you're going to make the Davis's family's <laughs> lives. So anyways, it is a, it is a good question. I don't know how much you've been able to look into this across, you know, race running or, or race simulated race running, but anything stand out mileage wise, you think between the two brands, or do you think that might be close? Well, I hope we're not that close. Uh, when we roll past that stand on the last lap, the, um, uh, but I'm, it's, it, they're going to have 140,000 people there in the, they say in the grandstands. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh, Jeremy and his family are going to be there. Uh, I think that's exciting in terms of fuel mileage. Um, I don't expect it to be less than what it was last year. Uh, the configuration of the cars is very similar. Uh, it, and it just seems invariably uh, that we get the final yellow on lap 160 or 161 instead of 64 or 65. Uh, so that's when it really counts. Um, I think when if you're if you're running in the lead pack, if you're if you're at the fir first five or six seven positions, if you pit a lap or two early in sequence for whatever reason you choose to do that, you're going to come out uh, where you left the racetrack. That's how it works. So those lead cars can they can vary the the the, the pit uh, discipline by three, four, five laps, and still race with each other, no matter what the fuel mileage is. So if the Honda is not as good as the Chevy, or the Chevy's not as good as the Honda, 
by by a lap or two laps or depending on where you are in the draft at that point of the race. Uh, it's not that significant. When it becomes significant is if the final yellow is lap 160 or 161. Mm. Uh, that's when it becomes significant. Um, and that's when you have to make the number. Uh, because you want to make the number with the with frequency for a bit of time so that you can go to full rich, uh, which means you're going to chew a lot of fuel up um, uh, at the front or be leading uh, with with uh, not having to make fuel. Um, and we saw last year what happened to us was that we sat behind Sato, um, and I told Scott on the radio, I don't remember what lap it was, 95 or 96, whatever it was, uh, we can go, let's go. And, uh, he had followed, you know, uh, religiously followed Sato to make the number. Sato's sitting out there like a, you know, like a sitting duck and the yellow comes out. Those guys had a great crystal ball that day. We didn't. Uh, so I think that's when the mileage counts is, uh, toward the end. Let's see. Where else should we go here, Mike, with our last handful of questions, Eric Franklin, this is my congrats on pole position. Curious to know about your race day routine for the Indy 500. Wonders if there are any Mike Hall superstitions that get, uh, uh, practiced or observed, but uh, you've done this race many times. Mike, is there a bit of a routine you like to, uh, stick to or little touch points you like to make sure that you do? Um, oh my God. Uh, I don't want to get out of a, <laughs> I don't want to create something that would be defined as superstitious if I didn't do it because then I'd worry about it. I always try to eat pancakes for breakfast that morning. Well, that's just uh, a life uh, thing, right? If you, you should eat no, pancakes every morning, do, but I hardly, I hardly ever eat them. So it, it is out of the ordinary for me. Uh, but, uh, no, beyond that, I, I get up early and, uh, uh, spend as much time as I can, uh, uh, making sure that, uh, uh, we're fully ready to go. Uh, and maybe that's the routine right there. Pancakes that that's, I would just say Jeremy Davis and the Davis family, add that to your support routine. Make sure you have uh Ganassi pancakes. Let's see. And I can tell you every year we, every year we won, uh, we had blueberries in the pancakes. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, well I'll have blueberries the next year. It didn't work. Oh, so, <laughs> uh, um, so I don't, <laughs> if that's a routine or a ritual, it didn't, it, it didn't work in, uh, two in a row. <laughs> I, I thought we had uh, the, the magic, magic answer of how to win the Indy 500 blueberries on pancakes. Dang it. We lost it. Yeah, I thought, oh man, that's great. Okay. <laughs> Here's a, a fun one. We always get something like this for you, Mike. Every time you visit us, this comes from James America says my 19 year old is a mechanical engineering student active in formula SAE at Iowa state university. Any advice for him as he has wanted to be involved in engineering on a race team since he was little also says, keep up the great work with your team. So everyone looks to uh IndyCar Yoda for advice on how to get their son or daughter, uh, up, up the ladder working in uh, motor racing, any suggestions for James son, who's already in with formula SAE. That's so cool. And wants to uh, be on a timing stand here in the future. Well, I think formula SAE is a great place to, uh, to be. Uh, and we have 
quite a few engineers working for us, uh, both in North Carolina and in Indianapolis, in both buildings that came from that exact um, persuasion. Um, and what's in common with them, what they did was um, they found a way to contact many race teams, not just this race team, uh, with uh, information well before they graduated, information about themselves, and not necessarily what their whole ambition was in life, but the fact that they did want to work in motor racing, and they asked for advice. And uh, we've been, I don't think that we've ever not answered those questions for anybody that's been interested, uh, whether they be an engineering student uh, with uh, Formula SAE as uh, one of the things they work on, or whether they uh, drive a truck, or they want to mechanically work on the race car, or uh, they want to work in public relations, media, you name it. Um, I, I think that's really important. And the way to do that is just, I mean, you can get on uh, social media and direct message somebody, or you can uh, uh, get on, on a team's website and find contact information, and I would do that. Smart stuff. Let's see, where else should we go here as we uh, wind down the show? Um, this is one I'd love to get your thoughts on, uh, looking at the impact of Beth Peretta's team Simona De Silvestro, and obviously they are the latest in a long and proud line of women who have done big things. Uh, women on working on your team have done important things in IndyCar. Uh, Tad Gabron says, no question, just a comment, says, took my nine-year-old daughter to qualifying this weekend. So she never really sat through a race with me before uh, seeing the cars go by, but especially now seeing Simona, for the first time ever, she said, I want to be a race car driver. Uh, Thad, Tad says, uh, I'd say diversity is working. What do you get to see and observe, Mike, uh, knowing that the Peretta Autosport team is really trying to change what people think of as the norm, what's possible when constructing an IndyCar team that, hey, you know what? You can have a lot of women doing very important things, whether it's the heavy lifting manual labor part, the big brain stuff on the engineering side, the all aspects. Any thoughts on, on what you've observed or seen with this program this year, trying to advance this initiative to make uh, the IndyCar pit lane more representative of all interested people? Well, I would say, first of all, um, our team has is, is tried, is tried very, very hard to uh, include uh, uh, women uh, uh, vocationally to work for us. Um, and we've been somewhat successful with that. Um, and it's worked out fine. And we don't look at them um, as, I don't know how to say this, uh, we don't look at them as women. We look at them as somebody who's able to achieve great things based on their energy level, their experience level, and their educational level. That, that's how we've always looked at people. And that the, and in referencing the question we had before about Formula SE, SAE, uh, if there are female engineering students that are doing the same thing, we would love to talk to them. Um, and uh, uh, the, they, make it, they, they can make a, a great contribution and a great difference for what we're doing. And uh, that's what we look for in people. Um, in terms of Beth's program, she has a great partner uh, in Penske Racing. 
So she went right to the source basically and uh, said, I want to do this. Can you, can you help me get my program underway? Um, and I think that that's made a significant difference in terms of having the right equipment, the right process in place, uh, the right means to be able to find the next level in order to generate a platform going forward. Um, I think that uh, she's doing the right things uh, that she needs to do to build a team. Um, and, and, I, and I hope that, that that continues, not necessarily just with Beth, but with, with other team owners. Um, because, uh, that will eventually make a difference now in terms of, uh, what was the, who asked, the, what was the person's name that asked this question? Uh, this was Tad Gebron. Tad, Tad, uh, for your nine year old daughter, if she wants to drive a racing car, get her in a go-kart now. Um, that's like the AYSO of racing and, uh, and, and support her, um, uh, in order so that she can, uh, develop the skill set to get to the next level. Um, and I, and I think that that's where race drivers are starting these days. Uh, that's where they're coming from. They're coming from, uh, carting, carting programs around the United States. And, uh, when, when she puts a helmet on and puts, puts her hands at 10 and two, you don't, it doesn't matter who she is. She does it based on, on ability, talent, and, uh, the educational process of driving with four wheels. Uh, around racetracks against everybody else. And if you go in that direction, Thad, you might, uh, on social media, find a uh, former Chip Ganassi racing driver, master of karting with a son, Chase, who is rocketing up the uh, world of go-karting, that being Joey Hand. So if you uh, check out Joey, you'll find him on, on Instagram and Twitter and you name it. He's a lifelong yeah, carter, one of the best in the business. If you're looking for advice on how to... Uh, get uh, a child into carting and, and what to do. His two and a half year old daughter is the one that's going to be the race driver. Wow. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, he, he said, there's no fear there. And, and he, she's the one that will outshine all her brothers. So, uh, you know, there, uh, that, that'll be fun to watch. Last, uh, why don't we close with this just cause I thought it might be a nice way, Mike, to shed some, uh, love and appreciation on whether it's the, uh, the aforementioned wolf pack, the, uh, the crew, the mechanics led by Blair Julian on the number nine or everyone else on the other, uh, the other three entries as well. Our pal JJ Gertler sends in our closer here says the drivers get a lot of the glory we see on TV but I'm guessing there also has to be some credit to give back to folks at the shop. Just curious if you can talk about mechanics, both those in the garage at the track that we see on pit lane, but also if there are some say more shop based who played a role in getting cars ready and making sure that once they rolled out, they were ready of going and achieving those uh, big, big speeds and performances that we've seen so far. Uh, I, th I think it goes without question um, uh, that all race teams have shop-based people who are most likely um, either craftsmen uh, in support of what's going on or former traveling people. Number, you know, that that's that's the makeup typically of those people. Um, 
with what our people did here under our roof at Chip Ganassi Racing, it was really an honor to work with all of those people uh, by what they achieved as a group. Because that's really the key. Uh, they worked together in the building uh, a good portion of their day into the evening, depending on the situation, in order to have a product that they that, that they're ready to to roll into uh, a transporter. Um, so we have a fairly good sized staff of people, and we have our own cottage industry inside the building. Uh, so, and that's, that's really what a lot of race teams do today, whether it be an IndyCar racing or any other kind of racing. And that scope is based upon, uh, whether they build their own cars from, whether they manufacture their own cars and components or whether they, uh, buy components from vendors or a combination thereof. So in our building, as an example, we have a fabrication of machine shop, a paint and vinyl shop, a sub assembly shop, uh, a shop that looks after the arrow things, um, as well as then uh, support from the engineering group, uh, which vocationally are all different persuasions of engineers. And uh, not all of them travel, but they certainly support the team. And uh, some of them are in the building this week working on getting components ready for Detroit or Road America or whatever's after that, Mid-Ohio as an example. So they support the team by having the team, when they come back from an event, be ready to turn the cars around when you have those two or three days. And that's all you have before you have to be at the next one. Um, and that's as big a role as, as what we would do in preparation for the Indy 500. Amen. Mr. Hull appearance 26. It's done. Man, I I do not I do not want to see that invoice show up in the mail. Oh man, I, uh, I'm gonna have to work till I'm like 200 to pay that sucker off. But uh, I'm indebted to you as always. You know how much we appreciate you and the time you take. You make us smarter. You make us think. You make me think. Everyone else is thinking. I don't always do that. My brain kicks into neutral pretty easily. But thanks as always for visiting us. Hopefully this weekend goes incredibly well for you and. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more to talk about next week. Well, I hope uh, it's uh, with champagne all over it, but uh, that's what racing is all about. Uh, So thank you very much. Uh, uh, It's been, uh, been a terrific ride to talk to you, Marshall, so I hope that we can continue to do that.